Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, verses 31 through 33. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Burkett notes, From hence to the end of the chapter, we have a draft and scheme of general judgment, where observe the person judging, the son of man, the persons judged, good and bad, the one called sheep for their innocency and meekness, and the other goats for their unruliness and uncleanness. Observe also the manner of his coming to judgment, most august and glorious, glorious in his person, glorious in his attendance. Learn that Christ's appearance at the great day to the judging of the world will be a splendid and glorious appearance. He will come with power and in great glory. In regard of the dignity of his person and the quality of his office and the greatness of his work, he will appear as a king in the midst of his nobles to take off the scandal and ignominy of the cross and his recompense for his abasement and humiliation, to strike the hearts of his enemies with dread and fear, and to fill the souls of his people with joy and confidence. Let us, therefore, propound it to our faith to believe it, to our fear to tremble at the thoughts of it, to our hope and love that we may expect and wait, look and long for it. Observe farther the work of this judge. He shall first gather all nations, Learn that at the general judgment, all that have lived shall be summoned to the bar of Christ. Persons of all sects, of all ages, of all nations, of all conditions. Having gathered them together, he shall next separate them as a shepherd his sheep. Thence learn that though there be a mixture and confusion of the godly and the wicked here, yet at the day of judgment, there will be a separation made betwixt them, and they shall never more come together. Verse 34. Then shall the king say unto his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Burkett notes, Here follows the sentence which Christ will pronounce upon the righteous and the wicked at the great day. First, the sentence of absolution upon the righteous. Then, the sentence of condemnation upon the wicked. Learn hence, that at the day of judgment, the godly shall be absolved before the wicked are condemned. The reasons are, because it's more delightful to God to reward than to punish, to save than to destroy, because it's suitable to Christ's love to begin with his saints and to be admired by them, also to put his saints out of fear as to their eternal condition, and to bring them near to himself and set them upon the throne with himself, as assessors and judges of the wicked world. 1 Corinthians 6 3. Know ye not that the saint shall judge the world? Lastly, with respect to the wicked, that they may be more affected with their loss, and have a vexation and tormenting sense of that happiness which they have refused. Observe next the joyful sentence pronounced Come ye blessed of my father, where note one, the joyful compilation, ye blessed, which term is opposed to two things. One, to the world's judgment of them, which accounts them vile and accursed. Here is an absolution from their unjust censures. Two, to the sentence of the law, 
which pronounces all but its transgressors accused. Galatians 3.19 But, says Christ, I, that have redeemed you from the curse of the law, pronounced you blessed. But why blessed to my Father? 1. To point out the frontal cause of all our happiness, the love of the Father. This prepared the kingdom. 2. This expression shows how the divine persons glorify one another. As the Spirit glorifies the Son, so the Son glorifies the Father, and refers all to Him. Therefore, Christ says, not, come my redeemed ones, but, come ye blessed ones. Not, come ye that were redeemed by me, but come ye blessed of my Father. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Learn hence that the Lord Jesus Christ, at his second coming, will judge all his people into a state of glorious and everlasting happiness, which his Father has prepared and himself has purchased for them. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Verses 35 and 36. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Burkett Notes Here our Savior sets forth not the meritorious cause of his saint's happiness, but the infallible sign of such as should inherit that happiness, the character of the persons that might expect it, such as feed him, clothed and visited him in his members. Where note one, that the godly, having their sin forgiven in this world, some would gather that there should no mention be made of them in the day of judgment, for they observe that Christ here only mentions the good works of his saints. Ye fed me, you clothed me, not a word of their failings. Observe, too, that they are not the duties of the first, but of the second table, which here Christ mentions, because works of charity are more visible to the world than works of piety. Learn hence, one, that at the great day every man's sentence shall be pronounced according to his works. Two, that works of charity done out of love to Christ shall be particularly observed and bountifully rewarded by Christ at the great day. The question then will be, not only how have you heard, prayed, or preached, but whom have you fed, clothed, and visited? Three, that whatever good or evil is done to the poor members of Christ, Christ reckons it as done unto himself. I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. Christ personal is not the object of our pity and charity, but Christ mystical is exposed to want and necessity. He feels hunger and thirst, cold and nakedness in his members, and is refreshed and comforted in their refreshment and comfort. He takes it as a courtesy who might demand it by authority. How can we be closed-handed or hard-hearted to the necessitous Christian did we steadily believe that administering to them we minister refreshments to Christ himself, who parted with the glory of heaven, yea, with his heart's blood for us. Verses 37 through 40. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. 
Burkett notes, Here we have a dialogue or interchangeable discourse betwixt Christ and his faithful servants at the great day, where observe their question and his reply. Their question, Lord, when did we feed thee, clothe thee, or visit thee? We have forgot the time, though such is thy goodness to remember it. Learn thence that Christ keeps a faithful record of all our acts of pious charity when we have forgotten them. If we remember to do good, Christ will be sure to remember the good we have done, aye, and reward it as well as remember it. Again, this question of theirs may proceed from admiration and wonder, and from a humble sense of their own nothingness, and from the greatness of Christ's condescension in taking notice of such mean services, and requiting them with such a transcendent reward. Learn hence that when Christ comes to reward his children and people, they will wonder and be astonished at the poverty and meanness of their own services and at the transcendency and greatness of his rewards. Observe next our Lord's reply. Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Where observe one, the title put by Jesus Christ upon his poorest and meanest members, my brethren. Two, the resentment of the kindness showed to his brethren, as shown unto himself. Inasmuch as ye did it to them, ye have done it to me. Learn hence that such is the endearing intimacy between Christ and his members, that whatsoever is done to any of them is esteemed by him as done unto himself. Verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Burkett notes, here we have the sentence of condemnation denounced against the wicked, where observe one, the posture in which they are found, at Christ's left hand. This does not so much denote the ignominy of the place, though placing at the left hand is less honorable, as the impiety of their choice. They took up with the left-handed mercies, the mercies of the footstool, wealth and riches, dignity and honor. As for the good things, which are at God's right hand forevermore, they never saw after these. Verily, a man may know his future state by his present choice. Observe, too, the title given to wicked men, ye cursed. Not cursed of my father, because cursing is God's strange work. We force him to it. He delights not in it. Observe, three, the sentence itself, where note one, the punishment of loss, depart from me. Learn hence, one, that it is the hell of hell to be damned, that they must everlastingly depart from and lose the comfortable fruition and enjoyment of God in Christ. It is to be deprived of an infinite good. Hell is a deep dungeon where the sunshine of God's presence never cometh. Two, the punishment of sense, depart into everlasting fire, where note its severity, it is fire, its eternity. It's everlasting fire. Learn thence that there are everlasting torments in hell prepared for the wicked. There is a state of torment and a place of torment provided by God. All princes have not only their palace, but their prison. God has the palace of heaven for the enjoyment of himself and his friends, and the prison of hell for punishing his enemies. The nature of the damned's misery is set out by fire. The whole man, body, and soul shall be tormented in it. One, the body and in all its members, their eyes with affrighted spectacles, the devil and his angels, and their own companions in sin. Every time they behold these, it revives their guilt and enrages their despair. 
Their ears are filled with yelling and howling and hideous outcries. Two, the soul shall suffer in hell by reflecting upon its own choice, by remembering time sinfully wasted, seasons of grace sadly slighted, the mercies of God unworthily abused. Lord, how will the remembrance of past mercies aggravate present miseries? Note farther, one, that Christ said not of the punishment that he doth of the blessing, that it was prepared from the beginning of the world, lest it should be thought that God designed men's punishment before they sinned. Note, too, that although Christ said, Come, ye blessed of my Father, he saith not, Go, ye cursed of my Father, because God is the author and procurer of men's happiness, but man only is the author of his own misery. Note, three, that Christ speaks of this eternal misery by fire as designed originally not for man, but for the devil and his angels, but man by giving up himself to the power and thraldom of sin and Satan and working himself down into the infernal regions becomes like unto him in torments, whom he so much resembles in manners and qualities. Verses 42 through 45. For I was a hungered, and you gave me no meat. For I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer unto them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. Burkett Notes Observe here, one, how Christ lays the charge of the wicked's damnation upon themselves alone. You gave me no meat. Ye took me not in. Man, and man alone, is the cause of his own destruction and damnation. Observe, too, the kind of sin charged on the wicked at the great day. Consider it, one, in general, it is a sin of omission. Once learn that sins of omission are certainly damning, as well as sins of commission, or want of love to his Christ and his members. Learn hence that one reigning sin, one prevailing corruption, is enough to damn a person, because it deprives a man of the grace of the gospel and excludes him from all the benefit of the promises. Note lastly, that if such as do not give to Christ and his members shall be miserable at the great day, what will the condition of them be that take from them, who strip and starve them, who persecute and hate them, who imprison or banish them? If the uncharitable shall scarcely be saved, yea, shall certainly be damned, where shall the unmerciful and cruel appear? Verse 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Burkett notes, observe here, 1. That though the righteous are first judged, yet the sentence is first executed on the wicked. They shall go into everlasting punishment. Observe, too, that men's states and conditions in another world will be different, as their ways and doings have been in this world. 3. That everlasting life shall be the portion of the godly, and everlasting punishment the portion of the wicked. God grant that the horrors of eternal darkness and the dismal thoughts of a miserable eternity may effectually discourage every one of us from a wicked and impenitent course of life. For who can dwell with the devouring fire? Who can dwell with everlasting burnings? <laughs>